Today we are beginning a new series of messages that we've entitled The Face of Jesus Christ. And it came out of a personal reflection of mine as I've been going through the last few chapters of each of the Gospels. And it's my prayer that each one of you will journey with me as we we're going through these different aspects of the character of Christ. I want to back up, do a little bit of review. We said that it was always God's desire to reveal himself to humanity. He wanted to reveal his character to man, show us who he was, but there was a problem. He always had to clothe himself in another medium. Remember with Moses at the burning bush, he did not come out and talk to Moses face to face. He had to be within the bush. He chose a very humble medium with which to communicate with Moses. We also see that in the Old Testament, the pillar of cloud was another means of communication. God would be enshrouded in a cloud and Moses would come to the cloud and God would speak to Moses from within a cloud. It was never face-to-face communication. It was always through another medium. And then we have the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was where the Shekinah glory was. And this was a place where God's presence resided, and yet it was covered. You were not able to go into the most holy place of the sanctuary. Rather, you were only to view it many times only when it was being taken from place to place. It was covered, and there was a particular way that this object was covered. You'll notice that in 1 Samuel chapter 6, verse 20, after the Ark of the Covenant has been uncovered and people perished because they witnessed the glory of God, notice what it said. It said, 1 Samuel chapter 6, verse 20, who can stand in the presence of this what? Of this holy God. So here's the problem. God wants to reveal himself to humanity. He wants to show us his character. But the problem is because of his holiness, We are not enabled to stand in his presence. So God solved the problem we talked about in our first presentation by the greatest revelation of God in history, Jesus Christ. Jesus came clothed in humanity. There was no filter. There was no veil. And all you had to do to know the character of Jesus was to look in his face. Amen? Every look, every smile, every nod, every wink... Every whisper, every sound, every touch, you could literally touch God. There was no veil. There was no medium. You could look directly into the face of Jesus and know who God was. Can you say amen? The greatest revelation, yet it took the greatest condescension. And we've said that the greatest revelation of Jesus can be found in the face of Jesus Christ. Second Corinthians says the light of the knowledge of the glory of God is in the face of Jesus Christ. So we come to our passage today with our title in the olive grove. And I'd like to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 26 verses 36 through 46. Matthew chapter 26, 1146 in your pew Bible, 26, 36 through 46. 
And I'd like to read this entire portion and then go back and highlight some points very briefly. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, Sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and two sons of Zebedee, James and John, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. And he said, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. He went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed and said, Oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to his disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And a second time, he went and prayed, saying, O oh, my father, if this cup cannot pass away, unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. And he came to his disciples and said, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Verse 46. Rise, let us be going. This was after the Last Supper, before the crucifixion. And the Bible says in this passage that he went to a place called Gethsemane. It's interesting, in John's account, it doesn't mention Gethsemane. It says that it was a place across the Kidron Valley. Another account says it was on the Mount of Olives. So you put the pieces together. It was in a garden, an olive grove on the Mount of Olives. This was incidentally the very same place where Jesus ascended in Acts chapter 1. In Zechariah 14.4, it says that this is the place where Jesus will descend. Very significant place, the Mount of Olives. And the Bible tells us that this was a place that Jesus was accustomed to be going. It was a regular place of prayer, so there was nothing out of the ordinary. He would many times go with his disciples to pray, but this time it was different. This time, Jesus... His composure was changed. And the Bible tells us, it's interesting when you look at the nuances of the original language. In verse 37, it says, And he took with him Peter and two sons of Zebedee. He took with him his three disciples. Remember on the Mount of Transfiguration, he took these three. These were his closest friends. And the Bible says that he began to be sorrowful. This is interesting because in the Greek language, they have different tenses. This is a very significant figure of speech, a tense in the verb. It says, he began to be sorrowful. In other words, prior to coming to the Garden of Gethsemane, everything was fine, but then he entered the garden, took his three friends, and the Bible says, he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Deeply distressed. The Bible goes on and says something else. And he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Jesus walks into the garden. Suddenly he feels this weight upon him. And notice the language that comes out of his mouth. He's telling his three friends, his three closest companions, look, something's going on. My soul is not just sorrowful, but he says exceedingly sorrowful. To the point of death. 
Another translation says he was deeply grieved to the point of death. What was happening? In the Old Testament, when you sinned, you would have to bring a lamb into the sanctuary. The Bible was very clear as to what you had to do to that lamb. Prior to slitting the throat of the lamb, the sinner had to place his hands on the head of the lamb. And what he would do was transfer or confess all of his sins onto the lamb. The lamb would then be slain and sacrificed on the altar. Symbolically, the sins of the person were being transferred to the lamb. And I don't think that we can even scratch the surface of what is happening because the Bible says that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of whom? One person? The world. If we were to compress all of Pastor Shin's sins, which I hope that none of you found out about, past, present, and future, all the sins that I have committed, am committing, well, by God's grace, I'm not right now, but you get the point, all right? I'm preaching the word, all right? So I'm here. And will commit, and you compress them down, and then you take all the compressions of every single person in this room, and you place them upon one individual, you take all the billions in the world, all of the people in the state penitentiaries that have done terrible deeds, all the people throughout the scope of history, past, present, future, and you place them upon one individual at one moment in time. And this is exactly what was happening. Jesus walks into the garden and suddenly he becomes the sin bearer. The corporate guilt, sin, shame, all of the things that come with sin are being placed corporately upon one man. And it is crushing his soul. He turns to his closest friends and he says, look, I'm not just sorrowful, I'm exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. In other words, I think I'm going to die. The Bible goes on by saying he fell on his face. He goes to pray and the weight is so great that he falls physically on his face and prays, Oh my father, and notice the nuances of his language. Oh my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass away. In other words, he's saying, Lord, I, I don't know if I can do it. I, he, the sinless one is becoming the sin bearer, and this is foreign to him. And he's like, I, I don't know if I can do it. Please, Lord, if there's any other way, please. The Bible tells us the Luke account, the physician. Notice what he says. He says, And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood. This is a medical condition. When you're under so much stress, you actually start sweating blood. The bursting of blood vessels. Jesus is dying. He is suffering. I want to read this account from the Desire of Ages. 
It says that, Behold him contemplating the price to be paid for humanity. In his agony, he clings to the cold ground as if to prevent himself from being drawn farther from the Father. The chilling dew of night falls upon his prostrate form, but he heeds it not. From his pale lips come the bitter cry, O my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. So here is one scenario. Jesus is dying. He's suffering. And notice what he tells his closest friends. One translation, Matthew chapter 26, verse 38. Stay awake with me. Other times, the Bible alludes that he would let them sleep. And then he would wake them up in the morning. But this time, he turns to his disciples and says, Look, stay awake. Please, stay up with me. Verse 41, stay awake and pray. The implication is very clear. Jesus, at this moment in time, he's turning to his disciples. He is dying under the weight of sin and guilt. And he turns to his closest friends. Jesus' humanity is longing for compassion, compassion, companionship, and we can summarize it, support. Amen. Jesus turns to these guys and is like, look, I need your support. Please, I'm dying. He didn't unpack it because he said, look, if I don't go, you're lost. You're included in this too. Do you recognize I'm going to Calvary for you too? The moment doesn't get any bigger than this, friends. This is the biggest moment in history. Because if Jesus wipes that sweat off his brow, throws it on the ground, says, forget it. I'm going back. He wouldn't owe us a thing and we would all be lost. The history of the entire human race hangs in the balance. And he turns to his closest friends and says, look, I want you to stay awake. I want you to stay awake and pray. I need your support. He prays to his father. I love the way that Matthew builds this tension. Lord, let this cup pass from me. He staggers back to his disciples. He's hoping, I hope these guys are praying for me. (laughs) I hope these guys are praying for themselves. He staggers back and they're sleeping. Have you ever been in moments where you just couldn't stay up? I can identify with these disciples. It's, it's easy to be hard on them, but these are the 12 apostles that built the Christian church. Let's not be too hard on these guys. I was in a room praying once with a group of individuals, and I fell asleep, and they left me. <laughs> and I woke up, and that was the most... I, I woke up startled, and then I ran out of the room. I was like, where are these guys going? It was the most embarrassing thing. But here they are. Jesus is saying, look, I want you to pray. And he comes back, and he finds them sleeping. He says, hey, couldn't you stay up for even one hour? He wakes them up. He said, please pray. He goes back to the Father. Lord, let this cup pass from me. Please, I, I don't know if I can do it. Then he goes back to his disciples, hoping against hope that they are praying. 
Then he goes back, verse 43, then again, this is the tension here, again, Jesus found them sleeping. This time, he doesn't wake them up, but you can imagine how Jesus is feeling. He's wanting support, he's wanting their prayers, he's wanting their companionship. These are the guys that are going to lead the future Christian church. And in the greatest moment in history, when he asked them a small favor, they're really letting him down. He goes back. Lord, let this cup pass from me. Wow. This really tells you something about the character of God. He comes the third time. Maybe this time they've got it. Then Jesus returned to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Have you ever been irritated before? I have. Have you ever given someone so many chances and you tell them the same thing over and over and over again. I want you to watch this one area. Please don't drop the ball on this one this time. I'm going to write it out for you, just so you know. Here you go. And then they make the same mistake. You're like, all right, maybe it was just the first time. But then, but then you go the second time, you say, I want to tell you, this is an area, we live in a time of political correctness. This is an area of personal growth. I want you to grow in this area, and you come back and, and you tell them again the same thing. And then, and then they drop the ball. How are you feeling in that moment? Have you ever said, I've had it up to here. I can't handle this anymore. I've given you chance after chance after chance, and, and what do we say? Forget it! Or, even worse, forget you! I'm not wasting my time on you, you joker, or whatever we fill it in. I mean, this is what we want to say. I've given you opportunity after opportunity, and I have had it. What's wrong with you? I mean, are you not thinking? How many times do I have to tell you? Does that sound familiar? And here Jesus is dying. He's about to go on Calvary's hill and die for the sinner. And these disciples are sleeping. And he goes not once, not twice, but three times. And they're still doing the same thing. He, he's repeating himself over and over again. He really could use some support right now. And I want you to notice the response. It's right here in verse 41. He said it the first time. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. There's a lot of things that Jesus could have said. There's a lot of things that I would have said. But I want you to notice what Jesus is saying in this verse. We can unpack it, but he's basically saying, look, I'm giving you the benefit of the doubt here, guys. You're failing me, and you're failing me hard, but I understand. 
I understand your heart. I know you want to do what is right, but you're failing. And I'm giving you grace. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Have you ever blown it before? I mean, really messed up. How do you feel when you mess up and there's absolutely no excuses? I've had situations where I've messed up and I know that I've really blown it in this area. And you go back to the person and what are you fearing? I'm fearing their wrath. Isn't that right? Uh, especially when you have absolutely no excuse, when you, when you have nothing to say to justify what you have done, and you go back to the person and you are feel, fearing their wrath. You're fearing the words, I told you so. Right? Uh, look, I, I told you it was going to end up that way. Uh, how could you do this to me? And this is the way we feel. Uh, you ever see a dog? When I look at my dog and I say, uh, bad dog. You know, sometimes they're naughty, they do things. I'm like, bad dog. And it, it's interesting. I have two golden retrievers and the psychology of what happens in their faces. I mean, they look down. There's that cowering look. And sometimes, this is our picture of God. We mess up in our Christian experience. We're going through our Christian walk and... We think that when we come back to God, we have to be out in penance somewhere before God will accept us. You ever make a mistake? You're going through your Christian experience and, and you blow it. You fall fat, flat on your face and, and you think to yourself, there is no justification for this. How could I do this? I've been a Christian for years and how could I fall? And perhaps over and over and over again. And then you think that when you come back to God that there is going to be this, I, I told you so. You know, how could you do this? There's going to be at least a little bit of scolding. But in this account, it tells us that when we fail, no one is more patient than God. Amen? Can you read that with me today? Let's say it together. When we fail, no one is more patient than God. Let's say it again. When we fail, no one is more patient than God. This is the reality. If there was any moment that Jesus could have justifiably lost it and said, look, how could you do this? It would have been in Gethsemane. But rather than chastising the disciples, he tells them, look, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I understand. When we fail, no one is more patient than God. God doesn't throw up his hands. He doesn't say, forget you. How many times do I have to bear along with you? I'm giving up. How could you do this? I told you so. None of those things come across the lips of Jesus. He says, I'm here. And I'm never going to give up on you. And I want you to understand that. When we fail, no one is more patient than God. I look back on my own experience, and 
there have been times that I look back and I see how much I've fallen short. I see that God is calling me here and I'm way down here or even way down here and there's been times I haven't been the most focused and I've been out there wandering around. God's trying to pull me back and I look back and I think to myself, you know, if I were God, I would have given up on me. <laughs> I would have said, this guy's a joker. I- I'm not going to invest in him anymore. But I see over and over and over again that in moments that I was the least deserving, God was the most patient. And I wish that I could portray this characteristic of God that, look, when we mess up, it's okay to go back. It's okay to say, Lord, I'm sorry, and there is absolutely no chastisement that comes from the lips of Jesus. Steps of Christ, page 64. Often, we shall have to bow down and weep at the feet of Jesus because of our shortcomings and mistakes. But we are not to be discouraged. Even if we are overcome by the enemy, we are not cast off, not forsaken, and rejected of God. No, Christ is at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. And do not forget the words of Christ, the Father himself loveth you. That's a beautiful promise. There's hope. Perhaps there's someone here that you've been struggling and you think it's too late to go back. God is saying it's never too late. He's saying, I'm never going to give up on you. Just keep coming back. Perhaps there's someone here that has a picture of God as a vindictive, chastising father. I want to tell you, look at the face of Jesus in Gethsemane. Jesus always will take you back. Jesus wants to give you every opportunity. And it's my prayer today that you will look at the face of Jesus in Gethsemane, recognizing that when we fail, no one is more patient than God. How many of you want to see that face of Jesus today? Amen. Let's bow our heads together as we pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you are so patient. That you never throw up your arms and say, I've had enough. I can't handle these guys anymore. You never give up. You never lose your cool. You never say, I told you so. And I pray that all of the misconceptions regarding the character of God might be unmasked today as we look at the face of Jesus in Gethsemane. Help us to realize, help us to recognize that God desires 
to give a revelation of himself that when we fail, no one is more patient, no more is, one is more long-suffering, no, more, no one is more longing to have us return to him. And we pray that this revelation of Jesus might compel us, might motivate us to serve our Heavenly Father. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.